Hey guys, if you want updates on our latest episodes, then be sure to subscribe to the Film Colossus podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, if you'd like to support the show and hear episodes ad-free, then subscribe to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash filmcolossus. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we discuss Damien Chazelle's adored musical, La La Land. If you love this movie, then be prepared, because neither Chris or I really care for it. We discuss all the elements of what we perceive to be a very flawed movie with an unrealized ending. So sorry. Also, be warned, there are spoilers for the movie Mulholland Drive in this episode. La La Land. La La Land. La La Land. This is a movie that excites so many people like there are people that have clicked on this episode (laughs) hopeful and positive and Uh, looking forward to a delightful discussion about a movie that they cherish yeah or if they hate us like if they don't particularly like chris and i then they're in for a treat because you're not going to like us especially after this (laughs) but if they did like us we're just tanking all of that goodwill I know. I mean, it's this is an odd. I obviously we're we're covering La La Land because it's an article that does really well on our site and people really love it. But <laughs> I, in the back of my head, I almost wanted to push that we didn't do this episode because I, I mean, there, there's plenty going on. Like we've we've written about it, and you know, it, there's plenty to analyze in the movie, and I can see why it hits home for people, but. For me, anyway, I, I don't know how if Chris's thoughts have changed at all, but for me, like this movie, I've never liked it. I've seen it a couple times now. It's never hit home with me, and I kind of only have complaints about it. <laughs> so, like, if you like this movie, I'm really sorry, but you're just gonna hear me complaining for the next probably hour or so. <laughs> Which I mean, happens. Happens. We can't like yeah. everything that everybody I mean, likes. I, I mostly like movies that nobody else likes, so I, I get it. Yeah, and then this is right up your alley in terms of, like, just a cherished, <laughs> positive movie for so many people, and you're like, I hate, I hate. I, I like plenty of positive movies, by the way, popular positive movies. You know, I, I'm usually, honestly, that energy usually wins me over. I'm usually a sucker for that kind of thing, and I tend to not like grim, sad movies. Usually this kind of thing, I'm like, I like it. Like, there's nothing offensive about it, uh, except in this case, I find a lot of offense. <laughs> I okay so let's uh let's get into it jump back to yeah. when this came out yeah 2016 were you did you see it in theaters was this I a theater absolutely movie did. for you I was very excited about it um I think at the time I had seen Whiplash already and I remember liking Whiplash wasn't crazy about it um but now you know La La Land I I love Ryan Gosling Love Emma Stone. It's a musical. I love musicals. Looks colorful. Colorful. Looks vibrant. I'm in. Yeah, musicals are fantastic. And then, of course, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are two of the most charming people. Yeah, watchable, charming people. What a... Oh, my God. Why am I blanking on the other movie she was in with him? Uh, Crazy Stupid Love. Yes, Crazy Stupid Love. And Gangster Squad. Yeah, which... Okay, Gangster Squad, I don't care about, but... Well, no, but I, w- I would purely see that movie for them. <laughs> uh, crazy Stupid Love, I remember liking... Oh, yeah, but it's a good movie. Not being, like, knocked over by. Yeah, I would agree. I don't know if the movie's really trying to knock you over. <laughs> no, but I thought it might be a little funnier than what it was. Mm. But still decent. Decent. Um. Okay, so you saw this in theater, and wh- how were you feeling while sitting in the movie theater? Okay, so here here's how I'll preface this whole thing. Since 
I have seen this movie. I've actually, this has happened in the last few months. I have rewatched both Whiplash and La La Land. And I have found out something deeply true about myself is that I do not like Damien Chazelle as a director. Nothing against the guy. He seems cool. Youngest person to ever win a Best Director Oscar. Like, that's badass. He didn't have, like, you know, he didn't have, like, parents in the industry that help him get a job. Like, he purely, like, pulled himself up by the bootstraps and, like, made a career. And, like, that's badass. But his style, we'll get into the the nuances of it, but I've never connected with it. And my recent rewatch of Whiplash, like, now I don't really like that movie. And... I think the opening two dance numbers of La La Land exemplify what I really don't like about him. And that is that is the first thing I think of when I think about watching the movie the first time in theaters. I remember, honestly, the feeling I had watching those first two scenes was like embarrassment, oh. <laughs> <laughs> which is a really mean, shitty thing to say. But like, I almost like I felt bad for like Brady Moy or uh bringing Lauren to the movie like I I because I was definitely the one that wanted to go see it like I felt a little embarrassed I was like oh my god like what is this and it just like it felt like the dance numbers they felt forced they felt like they were trying to be playful but but weren't the dancing felt like awkward to me like it didn't feel like any of the musicals I that it is ostensibly uh portraying you know it feels like it's trying to be like a uh scene in the rain or something like that Mm-hmm. And like, just while I'm watching, I'm like, it's hard for me to put into words why I'm not connecting with these movies. Because I guess, you know, I, I don't direct movies and I guess my vocabulary in that arena isn't especially well versed. But like, however, it's being choreographed and maneuvered, like I'm just not connecting with the whatever energy it's purporting. So that's my main memory is that like, I remember the first two scenes, I was like, oh my God, like, what is this? And like, this is a, I can't believe I have to sit here and like watch an entire movie of this. <laughs> um, and then I, I think the rest of the movie was better. Like I didn't end up hating it as much as I thought I was going to have those first two scenes. But that is kind of the, the my main memory of the movie is like, I thought it was going to be one thing. And I was like, oh wait, like I'm not into this at all. And then when it ended, did you look over and Lauren's just crying? Like, I loved it. Or was she, was she also? I think, I think we were both on the same page. Like, we liked it, but weren't blown away by it. You know? Okay. Like, I don't even know if I'd go as far to say that I liked it, but I wasn't offended by it or anything. The offense came later. <laughs> okay. The second time I watched it. <laughs> I, for me, I remember the hype around Whiplash when it was at Sundance. But I didn't catch it when it was there. Mm. Um, but was I it there the year we were there? It was there the year before. I oh, had just okay. gone that first time in 2013. Okay. And I remember people talking about it, but I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't seen a trailer. And then when it came out uh, later in the year, I was hooked. I thought yeah. it was such a cool movie. I was into everything Chazelle was doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was so excited for whatever he was going to do next. And then it was like La La Land. Which yeah. La La Land would have been next. I, I don't mind musicals, but there was something about just the, I don't know, the trailers just, it wasn't necessarily what I was hoping to see from him next so this was one that i missed when it was in theaters mm-hmm. um despite liking emma stone like i was early on the easy a train i remember mm-hmm. seeing easy a in theaters and being like oh my goodness like the 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 girl from super bad is a star <laughs> that's yeah that was so good um so i was like i mean ryan gosling too i liked both of them but for some reason, there was just something holding me back. And then everybody loved the movie. And for some reason, I just never got into it. And then I don't know why, but recently, maybe I was trying to go through the most popular movies on Letterboxd that I had it watched. Um, and La La Land was up there. But I decided to finally watch it. And yeah, similar reaction 
that it's just immediately was not for me and i got progressively more disinterested and annoyed as the movie progressed uh second viewing now um a a little softening of the edge but not to a point where i would say that i'm like a fan Mm -hmm. uh, in any way shape or form there's still like narrative structuring math there's math anybody there's that's plenty listened of math. Mul- <laughs> I, I expect to get an algebra lesson in this episode yeah anybody that's listened to multiple episodes of the show knows that <laughs> i for some reason have a penchant for making movies about yeah. math i love it it's a different perspective uh and this is one where the math really frustrates me <laughs> actually i'm excited to talk about the math because i think it might be the one area well Here's how I'll say it. I don't know if I necessarily disagree or agree with you, but I also, I assume you're talking about the ending when you say math. Yes. Yes. And I also don't like the ending, but I like it for, I don't, I dislike it for different reasons. Yeah. I was, as we were watching, or we were watching, as I was watching it for this uh, podcast, I was sitting there being like, Travis and I are going to agree, but for completely different reasons as we get into our points. To be clear, whenever you watch a movie, you imagine me sitting right next to you. So you say we watched it. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's how I do it. So I I get it. It's beautiful. Yeah. You sit down next to Lauren on the couch and you're like, Lauren, could you move over just a little bit? Leave some room for Chris. (laughs) Could you pass him some popcorn? Yeah. Just toss it. He's waiting for you to toss it into it. Just toss it. See if he can catch it. I totally get you. Like thinking about the kind of movies you like, like Whiplash is a total Chris movie. And like Whiplash is gritty. It's like, it's a dark setting. You know, it's all indoors. (laughs) It's all about like pushing yourself to achieve something, but in this very intimately gritty way, you know, like that is not what La La Land's doing at all. It's it's light, it's floating, it's colorful. It kind of has a more distance perspective about the plot of making it in Hollywood and being in La La Land, you know, you're like dreaming in the clouds and all that. Um, it definitely has a completely different feel. So I could totally see you seeing the trailer to this and be like, nah, not for me. Yeah, not just, not quite. Like, mm. which, okay, so let's let's just get in there. Let's start talking about it. Yeah. Um, can we? I, I guess I'll say the thing that I really like about this movie, even though it comes with... <laughs> Uh, a slight detractor because I think it could have been better, but Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are just like so good together yeah. that no matter what they're saying or doing, like it works. It's very watchable. Uh, that's probably the nicest thing I can say about this movie, even though I don't like it and I don't think it works and I don't want to watch it. If I'm forced to watch it, like it's watchable, I guess, because like I like these two people. Like, I guess I could watch just footage of them like going to get coffee and talking like that would be the equivalent of watching this movie for me uh, <laughs> but I, I i just think they're such stars and they're so good together and we talked about it on the drive episode how how good ryan gosling is partnered up with another actor he seems to kind of thrive off feeding off someone else's energy and maybe he is a little lackluster actually whenever it's when he's in a solo vehicle in a movie um just watching these two together is a treat yeah i think that is 95% of what makes this movie work yeah. is the fact that you have two of the most charismatic actors of their generation being as charismatic as they possibly can. It's like every scene is designed to make you love them. Mm-hmm. And it's effective. Like it worked on me. Like I cared about their relationship i was excited to see them interact like all the scenes where they're just talking and doing things yeah completely interested in whatever they're saying and doing and watching them say and do it although as you say that you are reminding me that there's plenty of the movie where it's not them together talking (laughs) like there's plenty of moments where they're off trying to do their own thing and there's plenty of introduction and there's plenty of like post relationship you know yeah so. Which <laughs> is the the source, <laughs> but yeah, math. I, the math. I it's so I was. I think that carries so much of what the movie's doing, and then just because it's going for some bigger swings, 
I think that appeals to people. And I think even just stepping back, the movie is unique in its visual palette and the scenes that it's giving us to where even if I think the context around them going to the observatory and like going into outer space and doing their dance number is incredibly cheesy to the point where it's not interesting to me. I understand why that appeals to somebody that's just swept away by the fact that that's a visual that they're getting to experience. Hmm. Um, so I see the appeal, even that opening dance number you mentioned, I go back and forth on it. And this is something that I think we've argued about in the past. Um, there's mm-hmm. part of me that's impressed by the fact of the sheer not quality but the effort they would take to put that scene together to where it's all one shot the mm-hmm. coordination that you have to have oh, we with have the to camera crew like all the actors the choreography all of it to be able to nail that in one take is always very impressive to me i'm always a fan of long shots one takes and that's very true for that scene on a technical level. I really appreciate the technical aspects of it. But then like with you, as I'm watching it, there's something that's just hitting me as incredibly cheesy and try hard at the same time. Chris, you are agreeing with me right now. We have had this discussion. It was an argument. And I said at the time, I can definitely appreciate something on a technical level, like the work and concentration and collaboration it takes to nail something like that. Like, that's badass. That has nothing to do with the end product. If it is, if it isn't giving off something like this scene, for instance, like it's trying to give off this ethereal feel, <clears throat> something whimsical, something that's introducing the city of Los Angeles. Like if those were all the goals of this scene, like I'm not feeling it. Like I'm not pulled into this movie in the way it's trying to do. Yeah, it's trying to get us into like, these are the dreamers, right? It's a city full of talented people that have dreams, but they're stuck in their cars on the highway. And there's a metaphor there to the fact that, especially you see Seb and Mia in their cars waiting to go somewhere, waiting to do something. And that even comes back to at the end of the movie, they're able to, me and her husband, take like the, the off lane, right? She's mm-hmm. successful enough that she can get out of the traffic and go do something else um, and live her life in a different way rather than being one of the people in traffic waiting for her lane to open up. So I think you can definitely make an argument about the metaphor of the artist oh, yeah. in the car on the highway. But then again, is the execution of it or is that the best way to demonstrate that? Uh, especially I think about it in terms of the Barbie movie. And I find the opening song of the Barbie movie very charming and well done and dynamic in a way that for some reason this just didn't land at all. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's home equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. I mean, the the opening Barbie... Uh, solid. And by the way, I was thinking of Barbie as well. I was like, I know we're going to talk about Barbie in this episode. <laughs> like, um, 
that that song it introduces it's a well done like the way it's choreographed the way it moves all the different characters it introduces like it's doing so much but at the same time it is letting you know what the movie's about it is laying out everything for you it's giving you a little a little guide and saying like here's what the movie's about like here's everything you need to know and and, and it's not like i mean obviously it's not that simple like it, it's just laying the foundation for what will blossom and become the movie become the structure of the movie being able to do that is not easy and doing it in a technically fascinating way is not easy that's my whole complaint about this movie and it 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 can really everything i'm going to say can just come back to this and in fact end right here you can turn off the episode right here if you want um like i just don't think that like it's stylistically very interesting or well done like i'm not pulled in by any of this and that is like that's a very broad complaint. So like if someone is really pulled in by La La Land's aesthetic, then like, I guess we just inherently disagree, but I, it's not hitting me at that base level. So like, I'm never able to be pulled in and dig into the crevices and explore the nuances of the movie. Cause like you, you talking about that scene where, um, Mia goes on the off ramp and like the metaphors and this, and the the symbolism going on in the movie like i see all of that i i wrote the guide like i i i know that's all there my problem with the movie is i never feel those things you know that's my problem with whiplash as well as well i i it, i only ostensibly read everything i i only know what the movie's trying to see and what it's purporting but like i'm never i want to be enveloped by it you know i want to feel enraptured i i want to I want to feel like there's no escape and that I'm exploring all of these themes and ideas with the characters and, and in La La Land, like it just constantly feels like I'm watching something that's been awkwardly staged and constructed. Like that whole opening scene to me is very awkwardly staged and the choreograph is like, tr like the people's smiles and the way they're acting. Like, it's like, we're doing this, you know, like it feels yeah. very staged musically musical to me. Um, where like you kind of need to do those things to pull people in, but it doesn't, to me, that doesn't work in a movie, you know, as I've seen in a lot of musicals, I've seen it in the range, just going back to something like that, or even something as recent as Spielberg's West Side Story, like the feel of those movies are different. The way you're sucked into the movement and choreography is completely different. This movie just doesn't have it. So it's really hard for me to become part of this world of the characters. I... It's funny because as you were starting to talk about Whiplash and not feeling it, like I, Whiplash for me, I do feel that envelopment. Like I get into mm -hmm. Andrew's intensity in that, but there is a distance to the filmmaking. Yes. Uh, like more of a third person omniscience that's not doing what we had talked about in earlier episodes about that embodiment of the character psyche. That's something yeah. that. I think you really like and that observational distance that's kind of there in whiplash um probably yeah. has a little more of that like distancing effect for you you're totally right about that and i and i observed that while i was watching whiplash and i think it actually speaks to why damien chazelle's movies connect with so many people i mean whiplash and la la land i think are both in the top 25 most popular movies on Letterboxd. Like, people adore these movies. They really like Damien Chazelle. And I think part of his formula is that, that he has a little bit of a distance from his characters and that he isn't so penetrating that you are kind of, you're forced to be like part of the journey with the character. We, there is an observational distance. And in that respect, you're able to apply your own life to what's going on which I think is a key element of why he connects with people. Uh, I personally, <laughs> I got, I just keep trying to find ways of saying things without sounding too pretentious. Uh, that is like the opposite of what I want art to do and is maybe the most boring way art can be, in my opinion. Um, I want to become one with the character. I want to be part of their world. To me, that is like, that's why I have a big TV and surround sound. Like, I want to be enveloped. Like, I want to be in the shit with them. And I just, I think he purposely doesn't really have that energy with his movies. Maybe he does of Babylon. I haven't seen it. But um, La La Land and Whiplash, like, it's not giving me what I need. I'd be incredibly curious to hear your thoughts on Babylon because 
<laughs> I almost watched it. The only reason the main I was so close to watching it, like my finger was on the button, you know, ready to click play. <laughs> um, the only reason I did it is the article's doing well on our site, and I think we may have to cover it at some point. And I couldn't bear the thought of watching a three-hour movie twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you just watch it sooner, we can just cover it sooner. <laughs> um, it's it's fascinating to me because I feel like it's relevant to the La La Land discussion because La La Land to me feels like a throat clearing. Uh, mm. He was actually working on Babylon already. Uh, if I read correctly as I was putting the movie guide together, he was... I think working on it for a few years and putting it off to the side at times. And when he did first man, he just was like, all right, I have to, I have to finish this and do it as the next movie. So hmm. I think La La Land was almost him doing a proof of concept in a way or starting to get the framework of getting into the idea of the Hollywood dream. Yeah, and exploring some of the history of Hollywood, trying to fuse the past and the present by bringing mm. that uh, what is it? Anachronization is that the word? The idea of the, the the musical that's such a historic part of film now, rather than a present part, right? And modernizing it and trying to have these characters do something old in this new time frame, and even. Uh, Gosling's entire character Seb right is kind of rooted in traditional stuff old school stuff his furniture at the end when he's successful he has like a smegma fridge in his place like it's a very classic vibe that he's portraying while Emma Stone Mia's just very kind of present and new there's interesting dynamics and concepts that he's exploring through the characters, through the style. There's a fusion of style, but I just don't think he quite gets there in fully realizing what he's trying to say because the film doesn't have enough time. Uh, and he ends up <laughs> Math. cramming it in and really shortchanging the last act and the necessary exploration because this is the thing okay this is the main problem for me is that the movie is so grounded in the dreams of this character these characters from the opening number and establishing the broader this is a city full of dreamers to mm. then zeroing in on these two and they're early in their careers they're struggling they're trying to figure it out it's not enough to just have them make it and put a bow on it and say, you know what? She's a successful actor now. He has his club. It costs them something dear, but their lives are okay. What does that actually, the success that they were trying to achieve, yeah. <clears throat> what does that actually mean to them? And that's the part that the movie completely refuses to explore in any way. And in a movie where that was the main goal and the main desire was just to reach that point, to never have the characters reflect on it, talk about it. Is Emma Stone, like, is Mia happy? Is she satisfied with where she's at in life? Would she trade it all in? Maybe not, but was the career worth it? Has she done even that much? I know that she's now like an it girl. We see her picture on things, but... Really, how long was she filming? How long did it take the movie to release? It's been five years since she went off. So you can imagine it had to have been maybe two years until the movie came out. Has she really just done like two movies at this point and is a superstar? Is she excited? Does she have imposter syndrome? Has she settled in like vindication? What about Seb? Like, is he fully satisfied at this point is he doing the kind of jazz it seems like it we get the implications and the hints that the characters are okay with where their life's at but we spent so much time so much time front loading what this would mean to them and why they want it to then not get anything about the reality of the situation and if it's everything they wanted if it's not what they wanted that's such a cop-out to me. It's cowardly. I think the story is actively cowardly in failing to explore that. But Babylon is three hours. <laughs> and Babylon, he goes for it and dives into all of it. 
and i think it's a lot more satisfying and a lot more complete and just better on the whole than everything that la la land says and does here's my follow-up question to that though babylon technically does all those things answers all those questions you're asking about la la land but is it enjoyable to watch and is it technically well done in a way that you're like you feel a sense of completion and you enjoyed watching it yeah there were sequences in babylon that i thought were truly is generational a right word that i could use here <laughs> so you really like babylon i didn't but <laughs> oh, wow. it's it's weird okay so when i first saw there will be blood i watched it three hours i looked over at my friend who asked me to go see it and i said i will never watch that movie again and then i thought about it for six months it came out on blu-ray i bought it immediately and it became like a top five movie for me all time mm -hmm. uh so sometimes i just have to sit with the movie uh tar was another one that i didn't like at first and then on second watch and thinking about it it's continued to stay with me and rise in my estimation babylon is another one where uh, to me it was just like some issues more so in the third act but that the first hour and a half of the movie was pretty brilliant and then you have maybe an hour where it gets a bit rocky and a bit predictable and a bit cliche um before the last like 10 to 15 minutes kind of bring it home again this guy sure likes cliches i will say that yeah <laughs> i think with la la land that was also just it felt very kind of cliche to me it's a big part yeah. for me you know i think we talked about in the last episode and again this is a very pretentious thing for me to say but when you've watched thousands of movies like it gets harder and harder to watch a movie like this that has so many tropes and cliches and is candid about it like this movie you know they go to the, the planetarium uh where rebel without a cause was filmed and like it definitely evokes the energy and themes of that movie you know being young and rebellious and and finding yourself you know all that stuff and it, just the way it's candidly feels like it's recalling, you know, the umbrellas of Sherboot. I never noticed it. Sherborg? <laughs> I should look it up. Um, or just some, something like seen in the rain. Like it definitely gives off that feel. Um, I, it's just very difficult when you've seen as many musicals as someone like me has seen to like look at La La Land and be like, it's just not that impressive. I guess that's the the meanest way I can put it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, there's something about, there's always, to me, I guess something nice about having a reference, but then it's the question of what did you do with it? Totally. Did you extend the reference? Did you add on to the reference? Like going back to Barbie as a, an example i feel like that movie has a ton of references being used it's very much almost in some ways like a love letter to cinema as it is a critique of like politics and political structures uh and uh, the exploration of human condition and fear of death and all of that so much going on but just the way in which it references 2001 in the opening scene but applies it to its own purpose and really makes it a new statement through the reference and the same thing with its reference to fight club at the end it calls back to it while also making it meaningful within the story and themes and i don't know like the rebel without a cause shout out they even like show the scene from the movie right mm. and then recreate it and it's like that's nice but what I, like that what? scene to me exemplifies exactly what I don't really like about Chazelle's filmmaking and not really fair I because I love Rebel Without a Cause like <laughs> I I always kind of that's a bit part of me whenever a movie is doing something like this with the movie I really love and doing it in a way that I don't like like that really irks me and I absolutely love Rebel Without a Cause it's one of the most beautiful one of the prettiest movies I've ever seen 
and you know going beyond pretty like all the visuals in that movie the complete aesthetic of it the colors the whole mood and feel it's it's all in in service of what the movie's exploring and i feel like this movie couldn't be less aware of that like when you see them going to the planetarium i not that i think the movie needs to capture what what needs to capture what rebel without a cause did but it's not even it doesn't even feel like it's trying to at all like it, it feels as we've discussed observational and distant <laughs> like it's just recognizing that this movie existed and that this happened and that's pretty much the extent of it like and it's trying to create its own whim it, it, its own whimsical air and i it, going back to i just i'm not feeling it like if i'm not feeling it then like in the from the word go if i'm not just feeling it on a base level like I'm not being pulled into whatever it's doing. It's it's a strange mix of energies all happening there at the same time where like it's referential, it's like trying to be floating and whimsical. It's like trying to do all these things at once and I'm not even like catching any of the little bits and pieces a little bit. So as a whole, like I'm not even sure what it's trying really really to say. I mean, it's just the same kind of commentary that you get from Mulholland Drive, right? That I I was going to bring up Mulholland and drive as well. <laughs> People go to Hollywood with a dream and the realities of the situation can be soul crushing. Uh, it's a little more of the negative half, half glass empty <laughs> in mm-hmm. Mulholland drive. This looks at essentially the cost of success by shaping that cost into the relationship that they could have had. Which is still, like, strange because in the flash of what their life could have been, the what if at the end, I mean, you could make the argument that it's just each of them thinking through what could have been, but also the argument that the movie's showing us what they gave up, what they sacrificed to go Mm -hmm. their paths. Yet in the alternative life, they would have both been successful anyway. (laughs) Like she would have still gotten the movie and he still would have opened a club or been a musician in a way that appealed to him. All that needed to be different was him not take the job with Keith and (laughs) things would have been okay. He would have struggled for a little longer. I agree. It kind of loses its impact because of that. Yeah. So if the point that you're making is that they had a fork in the road and they both chose career and they got the career they wanted in other lives, but it was at the cost of maybe having not the careers they wanted, but each other. You kind of spoil that by saying like, Oh, they could have had it all, Uh, which makes it a little more tragic in some ways, but also what are we doing here? (laughs) Yeah. Tragic in what way, if, if that really is the goal and for it to serve as a tragedy, like, what was the foundation for that being the takeaway of the movie for that being the movie's aesthetic that like these things are tragic. And if you really want to make it a Hollywood, you have to give up something like sure and wonderful and cathartic. That's not really part of the movie. The The movie, I guess, I guess this gets to what I really don't like about the movie is I never really know what it's about in the end. As you've said, it, it ends up being about sacrifice and if that's what the whole movie would have been doing, if that would have been like the thrust of the movie, I, the ending probably would have hit a little more. Again, I think a big problem with the ending is on a technical level. I just don't think it's that interesting. The whole like one shot, like moving through everything, like it's a very cliche thing to do. And I just was kind of rolling my eyes at it the whole time. Um, rolling my eyes at the scene that everybody loves. Um, but I, I, if that's really the goal, like I just, I don't see how that's part of the movie's DNA throughout. Like obviously that comes in here and there, but like, it's not the thrust. Um, I think that's just the general, at least whiplash like has direction. Like, you know what that movie's doing. This is about a guy who is giving up everything in his life, pushing away everybody in his life constantly in service of something. And La La Land, like, the best parts are when the movie isn't really concerned about anything, when we're just watching Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling together. But any moment where it's trying to like define itself and purport anything thematically interesting, it just like, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking like, I only 
I don't really know what the movie's about. And I wrote a whole guide on it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I guess I know what it's about because I can think about all the different things people have said and like the ideas that came across. But like when I think about the movie as a whole, when I think about the aesthetic, I wouldn't necessarily say like it has a strong image or personality of like something specific, you know, that would I make mean, the ending hit in that way. It's it's strange because we do start with that dance number that establishes the dreamers of Los Angeles. And then you have the song from Emma Stone that's about like, here's to the dreamers. So it kind of comes back to saying like all of you people, and this is the point of Babylon too, is that all of you people who are, well, Babylon's more specifically about making movies, like, but everybody that's making movies, all of you who struggle, who want to be part of this, like this is for you. And in honor of kind of the the sacrifices that you're making and the dreams that you have. And it's like you have that broader conceit here for the city itself, not just for Hollywood, even though that's a big part of it, but for all the Sebs and the person on the bike that's going around at the opening number and mm -hmm. the dancers and the singers and all of it, all the people that are there looking for their break. Um it's just the stories being codified in the journey of these two characters and the in quotes like ultimate sacrifice or the the big sacrifice that it takes kind of the the ways in which you have to embarrass yourself the things that you give up to try to make it like he has to join a band that's not necessarily his thing like i did on second watch appreciate the fact that when he's playing at the party and she kind of, she makes him play the song. I don't remember what the song is. I ran mm -hmm. and he's like hitting the keys all sarcastically and chastises her for making him play it. Mm -hmm. uh, the mirror of that to when she sees him in the band performing and he's on the keys and he's having what looks to be like a legitimately good time on stage, but he's essentially playing I ran, right. uh, but enjoying it. And so between that, like, nader, in quotes, for him and her putting all this time and effort into a one-woman show and it causing debt, you're seeing these more relatable sacrifices that are then embodied in the fact that they have to give up each other in order to pursue the things that they want to pursue and just that missed what-if that they have. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's supposed to be the thing. Like, you go to Hollywood, you try to make it, and it's a struggle, and sometimes there's a sacrifice that hurts, but you get what you hoped for through that sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not that the movie has to be dark or anything, although, like, there's plenty of dark moments and the ending isn't exactly like a feel good ending. It, it ends in melancholy in a way. Um, it, I, I just can't help but compare it to something like Maholland drive or like, even though the whole movie, you're not really sure what it's doing because you don't know the whole movie is a dream sequence. Once you figure out it is a dream sequence, you're able to view everything differently. And the ending, the whole post dream sequence where we see that Diane has done something terrible and hired a hitman to kill Rita. I, don't, I guess spoilers from a hole and drive. <laughs> um, like all of that, it, it, it really, it helps you understand everything. It brings light to the whole movie. It, it helps you put the pieces together and understand what certain scenes are about and see the narrative and thematic thrusts of the movie. And it allows the ending, the darkness, the, the tragedy of that ending to really hit. Like, I'm just kidding. You're comparing Mulholland Drive's ending to La La Land's. And again, not that La La Land needs to be super, super sad and tragic. But I guess I, guess I don't feel much of anything. <laughs> like, I don't feel like the whim. I don't feel like the promise of a better future. I mean, you're right to note that we know nothing about their places in their career at this point. Not that I think the movie needs to get into a bunch of inane details and explain where they're at, but like the end of the movie could stylistically in an interesting way, explore all these things and show us all these things kind of like it did with the what if, what if sequence. Like there are plenty of ways the movie could have gone about it to breed everything together. And yeah, it's just, you yeah. know, it's not there. 
it's completely unwieldy. You spend the first hour of the movie is them getting together. They're not even together. It's just like that much time is spent on establishing what they're doing individually, like the flirtation, the initial steps. And then finally it's an hour in that they're together and we go to summer or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another, the whole time that they're together to her getting the audition, I think is 43 minutes or like 40 minutes. It's the five years later starts at an hour 43. Mm-hmm. Um, and the movie goes until two hours and seven minutes. So you're like, oh, that's a that's a decent chunk, right? Except the credits are long, <laughs> meaning that in total, there's only like 17 minutes for the last part of the movie. Yeah. And in that time, I think it's like seven to nine minutes, uh, seven to nine minutes are the actual uh flashback sequence or the the what if sequence so you only have like eight minutes of the movie to establish where they're at in their lives and explore that when the entire point of the movie was to get there so we see her go in and get coffee and it brings us full circle because she was the girl that was the barista when the famous actress came in to get coffee and it's like that's cool but does that matter? Like, what, yeah. what's the energy of that? What's the tone of that? What's the the point of that? And then the the what if being so long. I, you said it did nothing for you. It does nothing for me either. And I'm like, I'm crying on the second watch. I'm just randomly crying at parts throughout the movie where they're interacting because I know what's going to happen. I know how much they care about each other. I'm a sap in general. I'm always mm. vicariously feeling what other characters are feeling and cry easily. That last flash sideways does absolutely nothing for me because what's the point? Like we know that they could be together. <laughs> I don't need to see what it would have been like. Cool. That's exactly what I pictured. I need to know more about where they're at and why and what that means to them to make the story really feel satisfying at the end and not feel like just this tacked on thing. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree. And, and I agree with all that, but I I think on a deeper level, what frustrates me the most is what I've said several times is just the technical aspects of the movie and how, you know, that whole last scene we're watching Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling dancing. They're great. I guess this is a testament to how shitty the technical aspects of the movie are that they're so good together. Yet, like when they're dancing together, like it's kind of an eye roll for me. Like think about their introduction and the, the closing of their relationship. Like the introduction is them on that hill overlooking the city and it's just them two dancing together. That scene should be immaculate (laughs) that should like pull me in that should make me like fall in love with these people but like nothing against them but like they aren't great dancers and they're not necessarily great singers by by nature so like and on top of that you know the whole opening sequence which is full of people who professionally dance like already feels awkwardly staged and choreographed in my opinion um so like it i don't expect much better for these two like it's kind of awkward to watch it and it's there's nothing like fascinating about it you i kind of just feel like i'm watching two people go through the motions of a dance they learned the day before after a few sessions um and that's how i feel at the end too like the whole the way everything's like filmed and and choreographed and the way the the camera's like moving us in and out of seams like seamlessly like it just feels all forced to me and it's not giving off the feeling it should which is you know i think about barbie frank gosling is amazing in barbie like i love when he sings and dances like there's such energy there's such chemistry between him and everybody else um and it's conveying a lot of what the movie's exploring thematically it's i don't know it's just like all that stuff is to me why the ending really doesn't work everything you said chris like of course you're totally right about all that like the math just doesn't check out but uh, 
the art, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the colors, the the prettiness. Like I need all that stuff. I need that stuff to work for me to care. That's what makes me care. And it's not there. Yeah. I mean, there's still that distance. Like, as you said, when they're dancing together on that hill, it's, it's a pretty picture, but it's still like a distance from what's happening. And there's a part of me that appreciates that because I know that they're actually dancing and they're doing it in one take. And again, the technical aspect of that I like and respect, but there is just something that's also a little more. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Which I will say this won't surprise you, but it might annoy you. There's a big long shot at the beginning of Babylon and just comparing the energy between that and La La Land is so night and day. The Babylon scene is completely bonkers to me. I don't know how they possibly filmed it. It's just such chaos and madness. And it, it's the one thing that I keep thinking about nonstop ever since I saw the movie was that opening sequence. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, for the record, I don't mind one take scenes. Uh, oh, no, no. But yeah. it's just the distance in La La Land is oh, yeah, yeah. something that almost robs it of some of its power and emotion. And plus, you know, it's supposed to be this intimate romantic moment between them. And yet the, how it's filmed creates that sense of distance that's not necessarily bringing us into the emotions of that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, gosh. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. I feel like I got out everything I wanted to complain about. Um, I, Barbie, it's the thing that I've thought about most, though. Just, like, thinking about Ryan Gosling and Barbie and how well he does. You know, it's not even that... I need someone to be a good singer or dancer. Like I'm thinking about Mama Mia and how like Pierce Brosnan, that dude can't sing to save his life. <laughs> like it's almost it. I would go as far to say it's em- embarrassing, but it totally works in that movie. Like the way who his character is, his kind of like his dejectedness, um, just the fact that he kind of is like this normal guy who is on the outside of Meryl Streep's life and kind of is sucked into this crazy world she's in. That him, Colin Firth, Stellan Skarsgård, like you don't really need them to be incredible dancers. Like it's kind of fun to watch like this old guy who can't dance like trying to keep up with all these young people. That's not really the case in something like La La Land. Like it really does purport that all these people can do all of these things and you're supposed to be sucked in and it's I don't know. Yeah. That that was just a bummer for me to watch Ryan Gosling (laughs) doing that. Damn. Damn. (laughs) Uh, I love you, Ryan Gosling. If you're listening, I love you. So ranking? Yeah. We got to rank drive as well. Yeah. I'm looking right now where I'm going to put drive. Okay. So I'll start with drive. Uh, Anybody listened to last episode knows I love drive. I've loved it since the day it came out. It's been a movie I watched several times. My wife and I covered this movie. Uh, of the 424 movies on my rankings, and this is movies we've watched since the start of 2022, uh, my drive for me is at 26. Whoa, that's very high. Is that the highest of any that we've talked about on the show so far? I would think so. Well, you know, we talked about the Fast movies, and the Fast oh, yeah, and the Furious yeah, yeah. is at 19, and Fast Five is at 20. So That's true. <laughs> that is true. And Chunking Express is at number eight. Yeah. Okay. So we've done some of the the highlights on, on yours. Yeah. Uh, I think I have drive right now at number thirty three. Out um, of out of one hundred and fifty two. All right. Top third. I like it. Yeah, I have it in the impressive category. Um. So it's it's in the near the top i was just trying to think of another way to (laughs) phrase that and ran out of brain juice (laughs) Uh, and then la la land is lower yeah out of 424 it's at 396 for me 
<laughs> That's uh, it's in the categories of movie where like it's even because I have a category that's just like not for me. Like I could recognize that, you know, there are things about it that work really well and that it's just it's not something that appeals to me. I I find very little in La La Land that works. And I think it's a movie that just fundamentally is not sound. Uh, so it's just in this kind of bottom bad category. <laughs> <laughs> I call that really not for me. Really? So it's really not for me, and then not for me. <laughs> That's probably the way the, what I should call this section. <laughs> it seemed like the nicest way of phrasing it, but also giving off how strongly I feel about the movies down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have La La Land at number 115. It's at the top of the almost category. So neutral is uh the middle ground of the mm-hmm. 10 categories so it's the top one of the <laughs> the one just below neutral um yeah there's some decent ones in there no they're not like it's above scream three <laughs> I, I don't think people usually think of those movies as being <laughs> i would put similarly. scream three above this um, it's just below Koi and Iskatsi. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. It's one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. It's more of like a, like moving pictures. I don't know. It's just shots of various things and people doing things. So it's very meditative, uh, but starts to look at essentially technology and humanity in the way in which like human civilization is starting to get more maybe like distant disconnected due to technology okay but you have like seven minute sequences of just showing like highways (laughs) sounds fascinating or like eight minutes of just showing people in like a factory boxing bread and this is better or worse than la la land (laughs) better (laughs) There you go, Damien Chazelle. That's the that's the ceiling for you. Oh my god. Well, okay. Maybe we should okay. cover Whiplash so one of us will actually defend Damien Chazelle. I mean, we, if we do Babylon, I'll defend. <laughs> I still gotta watch it. Who knows? I might like it, but the track yeah. record has not been great. Get into it, Travis. I by the way, I refuse. I don't care if it becomes the number one article on our site. I would refuse to watch First Man. <laughs> I, I don't I think a movie's s- ever looked less interesting than me. Yeah, neither of us have seen it, have we? I, I would never. <laughs> Unless I was <laughs> I forced kinda, to for this podcast. <laughs> I kind of want to now, just to, just to see. <laughs> you should write it and like turn the movie into a classic all in a plight to make me watch it. Yeah, this is what I'm going to dedicate the rest of my career to. <laughs> getting people to rally around first man as the the movie of the 21st century good luck (laughs) thank you i'll i'll need it this is uh as they say a moonshot hmm okay too cheesy uh what's what's the next movie i mean it could be (laughs) it could be babylon uh, is Babylon actually doing that well? I mean, it's in the top 50 right now. Top 50. There's a lot of movies in the top 50. It would be uh, above La La Land right now. Hmm. I guess it would be a very poetic thing to do. Yeah. I would do it. All right. Let's do Babylon. All right. This will be interesting. Damien Chazelle either is going to really, he's really not going to like us by the end of this, I would imagine. <laughs> we go to Sundance and he's there and he walks up to us and he either punches us in the face and I like to picture yeah. it as him walking up and doing like we're standing side by side and he makes like two fists and just double punches like he's Batman in the 1960 like TV show right just punches us simultaneously in the face or walks up and says I need to shake your hand because you said some real things that I needed to hear. Uh, if he did that, I would watch First Man. <laughs> that's that's the one way I'll watch it. 
he's like, watch first man with me and let me know. I would. I'd hold his hand the whole time. That's uh, if he ever listens to this. Yeah, that's my promise to you if you're listening. <laughs> I'll just immediately ask for his forgiveness and then run out of the room. <laughs> okay, so we're wrapping up here. We got to wrap up yep. the set, right, guys? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so are we ready, everybody? Okay. Lights? Camera? See ya. <laughs> we'll get better at it. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.